Hey, good morning, Lakes Free Church. So good to see you today. We are just uh, excited for a really special day this morning here in the life of our church. We're not only gathered to worship the Lord's name, which is our first and foremost priority here this morning, but we are excited today because we have with us our executive pastor candidate, Barry Holst and his family. And we're uh, so thankful that God has brought us to this point and brought their family here to our church this morning, and we can't wait to introduce them to you. And we're going to do that a bit later. Later here this morning in our worship service, and uh, Barry's going to have sh- a chance to share God's word with us as well. So uh, we're looking forward to that. Just a couple quick announcements for you as we begin our time of worship today. First of all, for those of you who are members here at Lakes Free, especially, we want to invite you to stick around following our second service this morning. We're going to be having an important business meeting with our church family where we'll have an opportunity to get to know Pastor Barry a little bit further, hear more from him, and uh, do some question and answers as a church. And then we're going to vote as a church family on inviting Barry to become part of our, our church team and, and, our, and our Lakes Free family. So this is a big deal. So again, if you're a member here, we especially encourage you to stay around for that. We're going to do that starting uh, probably 10, 15 minutes following our second service. The uh, second thing I want to mention this morning is next week is another big week here at Lakes Free Church. We have our annual outdoor worship and baptism service, uh, followed by our church picnic outside. It's going to be an awesome day. We're praying that uh, the weather will just all move through here this weekend, and so next weekend we'll have some nice sunshine out on the back lawn. But uh, if you want to join us for that, that's going to be at 1030 next Sunday. We've got a great group of people being baptized this year that we're really excited about, and uh, we're going to have some great worship out there. Uh, And then following that service, we're going to have a a barbecue, hot dogs, hamburgers provided. So next week when you come for worship, a couple things. Bring with you some lawn chairs to sit on, and then if you want to bring any extra food items to share with your family members, uh, we're going to be providing the hamburgers and hot dogs and and some beverages, but if you want to bring anything supplemental for your own family, feel free to do that, and it's going to be a really fun and special day for our church, so I hope you're looking forward to that. All right, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to pray and commit this morning to the Lord, and then Chaz and her team are going to lead us in some great worship together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this day. We commit this morning to you, Lord. We want you to be honored and glorified and praised here in the life of your church, Lakes Free, in the life of us, your people. And, uh, and so, Lord, we just commit this day's worship to you. Thank you so much for bringing Pastor Barry and his family here today. Bless them. Help this to be a, just a really special and joyous day in their family's life. And we just pray, Father, that as a church, uh, we would be united first and foremost in our praise and worship to you, but then in our vision and, and calling for the future of our church. And so, Lord, to you be all the honor, glory, and praise today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hello, my name is Paul Post, and I'm chairman of the Elder Board and also a member of the search team, our search committee. And uh, as you know, we've been working hard over the last nine or ten months and praying that God would bring to us uh, the person to fill this position of executive pastor. So it is my honor and privilege to introduce to you Pastor Barry Holtz, and I'm going to have him introduce his family to us. Well. Thank you so much for having us here today. My name is Barry Holst, as Paul just shared. This is my wife, Deanna, um, my daughter, Anna, and next to her is Kate, and on the end is Grace. We have two sons, Isaac and Will, who are not with us this morning. Okay, well, uh, what I'd like to do now is um, pray for uh, our service, and uh, uh, Let's just bow our heads in prayer uh, as we come before the Lord. Lord, we just thank you so much for answering our prayers as we um, have gone through this search of looking for an executive pastor and that uh, you have brought Pastor Barry to us. We pray that you'll be with us um, later this morning as we have our congregational meeting and, uh, and make the decision whether to call him or not. 
We also pray that you will be with Barry as he brings us a message from your word uh, this morning. And uh, I'd also like now to pray the blessing that Aaron gave to the children of Israel uh, for Barry and his family. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face to you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord uh, turn his face to you and give you peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I do encourage you to come following the second meeting because I love to talk about my family and just share more and more. We don't have time for that right here. Um, and as I begin, let me, just, let me just place my cards on the table. I, when I work with people, I like always to be forward and say, here's where we're at. My desire from this time as I've been asked to share the word this morning is first and foremost that I want to join you in this study of John. Um, John is an incredible word for us, and I'm excited to, to do that with you. In the process of sharing this uh, message from John, it, it's also my desire that you see a little bit more of who I am in my heart. Um, but the most important piece for you here would be the third step, and that would be to be considering as well what this text has for you. Um, even, even more important than getting to know a bit of me today would be really considering this text about Christ's work on the cross and what that says to, to each one of us. So that is my prayer. So let me, let me begin even um, in, in prayer. Father God, as I begin this morning with this time of looking at your word, I simply pray that you would give us eyes to see and, and hearts to receive from this word about your incredible work on the cross when you sacrificed your son so we might have life. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, another Olympics is over. It's over in Japan. We still get to see it a little bit later here, but it, it has completed. In our family, we do enjoy the Olympics. My wife and I have been watching them for years. I find the Olympics to, to provide stories of athletes overcoming all kinds of odds to compete at that greatest stage. They're, they're truly inspiring. Some, some highlights that I saw even from this Olympics. In Japan, they had a 13-year-old win gold over another 13-year-old in skateboarding. I'm not pushing my kids hard enough. <laughs> there, there's a 58-year-old that won a, gold, a bronze medal in skeet shooting. It's not too late. A brother and sister won gold in their respective weight classes on the very same day. I know, a lot of fighting in that house, right? <laughs> Listen to the story of Isaiah Jewett. Jewett felt confident as he neared the final stretch of, of his 400 or 800. I, I, I didn't catch it from this article. But he, had, he wanted to stay on the outside to avoid traffic in this bunched race. But as he neared the home stretch, he, had, he moved to the inside to position himself. Well, as he prepared for this kick, 
Jewett felt something hit the back of his heel. His right leg smacked into his left leg. He stumbled and collapsed to the track. A Botswanan, Nigel Amos, tripped over him. Once Isaiah scraped himself off the track, he took a step toward Amos. Isaiah leaned over and extended his hand. He said, come on. Pulled him up to his feet, and he said, and the, Amos said, I'm sorry, to which Jewett replied, let's finish the race, man. Later, Jewett was quoted as saying, that's just what heroes do. I love those stories of, of character and competition, and it makes me realize that victory sometimes looks very different. It may not be something that makes a box of Wheaties or to those born in this generation, something that goes viral. But it is truly a victory in itself. As we're reading the Gospel of John, it's pretty easy to see who, the, who our hero is there. It's Christ. But our text today portrays victory in a, in a very profound light. I want to look at that with us today. So if you follow along, either on the screen or on your, um, your device or your uh, Bible, we're going to look at John 19, 17 to 37. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Gagatha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fill, fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was day of preparation, and so that no bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken 
and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once there came out blood and water. He who, he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of the bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. A word as I, I begin to look at the focus of my message, it is finished. I want to I look at John's purpose in even writing this gospel. He, he shares <clears throat> later in chapter 20, verse 30 to 31, says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in him. John's purpose in writing this is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Our text today is a part of that work. So as he's providing this case or this presentation of Christ, he shares both evidence of fulfilled prophecy and eyewitness accounts. I mean, they're laced through this. Look at the... Look at how he reveals fulfilled prophecy. Verse 24, this happened that scripture might be fulfilled. Verse 28, and scripture was fulfilled. Jesus says, I am thirsty, fulfilled from Psalms. Verse 36, and it says, these things happened so that scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones would be broken. Again, fulfilled from prophecy in Psalms. 37, as well in here, it says, another scripture says, they will not look on the one they have pierced. In Zechariah 12. So providing, again, this case and this evidence, and presenting to you Jesus so that you too may believe in him for life. And he also provides this eyewitness account, as he said in verse 35, the man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. And then John himself is, is writing this book bearing witness in his eyewitness accounts of these things. All again with that purpose of directing our faith to the person and the work of Jesus. I want to join that purpose and focus in on Jesus' words, it is finished. To even speak and, and talk to you about this work of Jesus Christ. It is finished what did, what did Jesus mean? Could it have been a type of declarative order by someone in power? You know, Jesus was God. He could come in and simply say, it is finished, <laughs> and it's done. He, he had that position of authority. I, I picture it's similar to a parent stepping into a room. The mom of those judo uh, gold winners coming in. It is finished. You know, I'm done. That's enough. Just taking that position of authority. Did, <laughs> did the mama that those judo Olympians have a it is finished look? 
Did Jesus have his it is finished look? I, I don't believe that's what Jesus was doing. He wasn't stepping in with authority saying, that's enough, I've, I've had it. But maybe it was a cry that he's finally had enough. Oh, it is finished. I can't take it anymore. Here I'm at the cross. I'm, I'm burying the sins of the world. He probably got to me. I buried the sins of Barry. Oh, that's enough. <laughs> it is finished. I can't take any more. <laughs> Sorry, everybody after me. I've just overwhelmed God. <laughs> I don't think so. Well, Jesus wasn't at a point where he simply couldn't take any more. He wasn't stepping in simply to, to take authority and say, no, uh, uh, this is it. He was making a statement of accomplishment. The Greek word used here is tetelestai. So the root of this word is teleo, which means to fulfill or to complete. In some contexts, this could have been used in the temple to, to be pronounced over a sheep, saying that sheep was good enough for sacrifice. In, in the, that day and age, in the, in the counting, they could use that word to stamp on a piece of paper or a receipt saying, paid in full, done. This has been completed and taken care of. It was a pronouncement of completion. We see John using this word in verse 28, which speaks to how John himself uses it when he communicates the sense of completion over prophecy. Verse 28 says, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, that the scripture had been full, that had been accomplished. So when Jesus cries out on the cross, he's, he's saying, it is finished. He's proclaiming it's done. Well, Matthew also provides some additional kind of insight into this statement, it is finished. So I want to compare John and Matthew. When John says it is finished here or records this, it's stated this way. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Matthew reports it with these words. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine, vigor, and vinegar and put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah can come and save him. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Well, Matthew brings into light that when Jesus was saying, it is finished, it wasn't something he was whispering. He wasn't just talking to the, the, the soldiers next to him. It's done. <laughs> he was making a proclamation. He was crying out in a loud voice. It is finished. This was the shout of accomplishment. I would say it was a shout of victory. Okay. At this point, the image of the text doesn't quite fit the concept I'm sharing with you. I get that. <laughs> Jesus hanging there on the cross. Victory! <laughs> you, you picture that type of statement more with the resurrection. 
I'm coming out of the tomb. Victory, right? I'm alive. There it is. You have that evidence of the completed work. But Jesus is proclaiming on the cross this statement of accomplishment, and he's proclaiming it to all who can hear so that it can be recorded for us as well. Webster defines victory as indicating success in a struggle or endeavor against odds or difficulty. Well, there's no, there's no doubt of the victory that was being experienced and accomplished by Christ here on the cross. I want to look at three ways that you will see that this is victorious. So point number one, Jesus was victorious in providing atonement for our sin. Christ's sacrifice on the cross provided the necessary atonement for our sin, and it also provided that the necessary work for us to be reconciled to God. His sacrifice met the righteous demands of God for the payment of our sin. It's finished, it's completed. First Peter 3, 18. For Christ died for sins, for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Romans 3, to 25. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. This payment for our sin was made, and now the path to reconciliation was open. This was visualized in the tearing of that temple curtain. You know, as Matthew said, the loud cry he, he proclaimed it as finished, and then he gave up his spirit, and immediately the curtain was torn in the temple. Well, that temple divided off the Holy of Holies. This was a room that represented the very presence of God with the Hebrew people. Only one of the priests could enter this room with a sacrifice for the sins of the nation. It was even said that they tie a rope on that priest's leg in case they didn't survive the whole presence of a holy God. When that curtain ripped, top to bottom, when Christ was crucified on the cross, I can't imagine what it was like in that temple. Here are these temples, in the temple, these priests were instructed about that, that holy place and, and that concern of, of, you know, being in there. And now this temple, this curtain's ripped and the presence of God is then open for all. And I, I, just the chaos the, um, that occurred, I, I can't imagine. Wanting to maybe clear the temple for fear of, of being killed just by um, being exposed again to, to the holiness of God. The book of Hebrews states that this curtain was a typology for Christ. Hebrews 10, 19 to 22 Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. 
This curtain was a, a typology of the body of Christ that has, was broken that we may enter into the presence of God. Victory. Atonement for our sin was made. Reconciliation is possible through Christ. As I shared at the beginning, I also want to give a picture of myself as we go through this study. So a glimpse for me. Um, I was born and raised in a, in a Christian family. Very fortunate at a young age to, to be exposed to this truth of the gospel. On a Christmas Eve, I'd asked my my mom, why would Christ come to this earth? I mean, if he's in heaven, it just doesn't make sense why you want to come to this earth. And the truth of the gospel was shared to me of that Christ came so that we may be saved. He came to be a sacrifice for our sins so that we could be again reunited with our God. That night, I made that choice to go through that curtain to admit that I'm a sinner and I, I needed to accept that work of the cross for the payment of my sin, that it was through his work that I could now come in the presence of God and say, God, Jesus, would you be my savior? Would you be my Lord so that I can be a part of your family forever? And that began a journey that I'm on today and, and, I, and I'm so grateful again for that news and for the life that I, I've got to enjoy being a part of with God. As I've grown, I want to say that <clears throat> I started to embrace a, um, a, a performance mentality. I, I, gr I grew up in the context of farm, and hard work was really a, um, esteemed, and, and I found out the better I performed, it really seemed that I got more affirmation. I started to confuse that with love. It was, it was the idea that, man, if I, can, if I can perform well in sports, if I can perform well in school and academics, people loved me. <laughs> and so it was this performance idea that I was working harder and harder and harder to achieve that and have that sense of worth and that acceptance. And sadly, that started to slip over and infect my understanding of, of even spiritual things. And, and then I'm bringing that into the relationship with God where, God, now I'm looking to perform to earn your acceptance, to in some ways make your payment worth it, right? <laughs> I want to earn your love. I want to do this. And you catch the idea, and it, it was <clears throat> draining. <laughs> you know, draining because in, in a sense I was moving my faith to myself and what I can achieve and I can do rather than resting in that completed work of God. In college, I was, I was really blessed that God helped me come into an understanding that my worth, my, my sense of who I am and my identity isn't based on my performance and what I've done, but is based on the performance and the work of Christ and what he did on the cross. And he, and he said, it is finished. There's nothing I can do to add to that or, or take away from that. He has made the price. And simply give me a, a word of the self-worth that I was pursuing and working so hard at to, to, to change gears and, and see that he's given me a sense of Christ's worth. That's, that's the, the price he paid for my life, the, the price he paid so that I could be in relationship with him was his son. So understanding having a worth in him. So when I consider this truth of it is finished, 
it's been a work that spoke to me to, to, to come and be a part of that family of God. But also it's been a work that continues to speak into me of, of how I live and I rest in him and I trust in him. That's also become a part of my ministry as well as my desire that, that each of you, those that I, I have the opportunity to share with, come and, like, like John as he wrote his gospel, that you put your faith in the work and the person of Christ and rest in him. Let me move on to the second point. This is victorious as Jesus was obedient and his obedience brought glory to God. It is finished. There's victory because the Father was ultimately glorified. Prior to Christ's arrest, he went and he settled into the Garden of Gethsemane to to pray. He he brought his disciples along with him, but he, he went away to just take some time to be with his Father. And in the garden, Jesus asked his Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. He brought a cup. That cup... that Jesus was saying, if it be your will that, that this passed for me, was, was a, a cup that contained humiliation. It was a cup that, that contained scoffing, the disrespecting of, of who Christ was. It, it contained the scourging with the whip and and the bearing the weight of mankind's sin and, and ultimately experiencing that turning of his father. And Jesus in the garden is like, if, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. And he said, but not my will, yours be done. And that cup wasn't taken. Jesus knew the will of the father and obediently finished that cup. When I first was reading this um, in, in preparation for today, and they, they lifted up that, that hyssop branch with the sponge, and Jesus took a drink, and then he cried out, it is finished. That drink brought me back to the fact that he drank it. He, he, he took that cup that we might have life, but he took that cup as, as well in obedience and in glory to his Father. Philippians 2, 5 to 11 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. God the Father was glorified in the obedience of Jesus Christ. 
It is finished. It was a word of accomplishment, but it was a word that brought glory to God. He completed that cup. If victory can be understood as being obedient to God for his glory, we see here that at times victory may more look like a cross than a crown or a cushioned chair. Victory can be those, those low places that we're singing God's praises as we were just worshiping about. It can be our trials. If we, like Christ, are seeking to be obedient to the will of God, you know, on that cross, some of the counts talk about how the, the soldiers and those around were mocking Jesus. Wow, man, you're, you're son of God, you're God on that cross. <laughs> you could step down right now, <laughs> serve up a little plate of justice to him. But Jesus stayed on the cross because he knew he was serving the justice of God the Father. Scripture says that the payment of our sins was fulfilling the justice demands of God. His obedience fulfilled that will and, and brought the Father glory. Another glimpse, I want to just pause in my life, even to you to consider in, in yours. As I, I consider this example of of Christ being obedient to the very point of death, there's another dynamic of obedience, and that is the recognition of, of the one who's giving the orders, the one who's in the position of authority. See, the obedience of Christ is recognizing um, that submission and, and humility to the will of God, which is a position that, as I've now come into a relationship with God, is something I... I pursue, I, I don't claim to stand up here and say that I have it perfect, but my desire would be to submit to the God who has full authority to define both my perspectives and my path. Let me land on both of those. Jesus submitted to, to God that ultimately brought him to the, the, the extreme example of obedience from the cross. I want to submit to God then as the one that can define my perspective. I believe that's a, a challenge nowadays because it can be easy to try to conform God to our comfort levels, to, to our standards and, and what, what makes sense to us. In some ways, putting us in an elevated position to God rather than approaching God and saying, God, you're God, I'm not. I want to humbly give you complete authority to speak to my perspectives on, on the nature of things, what is right, what is wrong, what is victory, what is failure. For me, another area of submission, submission to God is, is being willing to say, you also get to define what that path is. When <clears throat> we moved into the house that, that we're in now, and that was many years ago, um, I was able to still find a couple friends to help us move. We had this seven-ton piano. 
it's probably only five and a half. I exaggerate. I had friends that moved this like three times early in, in our marriage, and we were coming to, to the, our home, and I, I looked at my wife, and I said, okay, where do you want this? No, I mean, what I'm asking is, where's the last place it's going to sit? I, you know, it's, it's not like a photo. You know, we have a, a nice uh, piece of art that I can go hang on the wall. How's this? I'll move it to this wall. That's no problem. I can do that. Uh, not this piano. Uh, we're going to put it there, and I'm, I'm not even asking how it looks there. It, it's there. The answer is, looks great. <laughs> the piano, you know, it's so difficult to move, and I've, I've thought of that for myself at times. I, I so want to be that picture of art that, that God can move around as he wishes to display here and there and easy to move. I know it breaks down. God is strong, and he can move a piano wherever he wants. Just work with me. We, we do that sometimes. So I wanted to be that picture that just is so quick to say yes. Move me, place me to that place where you see brings you glory, which is what Jesus did with the cup. I'm so glad that my cup isn't the same as Christ's. But nonetheless, there's still a call that we have in following and allowing God to express himself through us. My family has been so blessed by people who say yes to God. We've been blessed. There's times that we've had a car break down, and somebody said yes to God to share that with us. There was a point in our family, we, we had a, a contagious um, disease going through our home. We were quarantined for a while, which is not so hard to imagine nowadays. <laughs> we, we were just quarantined our home, and our church said yes and brought us meals every day. God was so glorified as people said yes. I want to be in that place that allows God to be an authority that I'm willing to take that cup wherever it leads because he's God. And in doing so, he is glorified. I see that as the example and is spoken in, in Philippians of our desire to be as Christ that allows God to be an authority and to lead us. The, the final point that I would share here comes to this <clears throat> teaching on It is finished, victory, because Satan has been defeated. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, it says in 1 John 3, 8. He utterly disarmed the powers of spiritual darkness, including the devil. We can see in Colossians 2. See, a major purpose in his death was so that, according to Hebrews 2, 14, He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. From the beginning, when mankind chose to sin, Adam and Eve, in the the, the time of the curse, there was already at that point in Genesis promised a savior. There was a prophecy of a coming child, and that would be Christ, a man who who would be the one who would crush the head of Satan. That was in Genesis 3.15. 
This is the work that was accomplished on the cross. Well, Satan may have been sitting there going, victory, you know, I've taken out Jesus. Jesus is sitting there, victory. You missed it. (laughs) Because victory looked different to Christ. Victory looked, looked like laying down his life so that we may live. Victory looked like being obedient in that sacrifice and ultimately led to the defeat of Satan. Now, here again, some of you might go, well, wait a minute, you're saying Satan's defeated. Pastor, you got the same Bible as me? <laughs> I, I, I read in Paul's letters that we need to put on the full armor of God. We need to protect ourselves from Satan and the, the, the evil forces that are there. Yes and yes. <laughs> Satan was dealt a, a, the defeating blow on the cross that he will not recover from. His destiny is set. He won't recover. Jesus is one. However, the devil does remain active. I don't mean to say that he's not out working to destroy the work of God in the lives of people. So we still need to fight. We still need to be alert. But we need to do so with the mindset that Christ has already won and that we are no longer bound by Satan are bound by death. We can live in the freedom that is ours in the victory of Christ on the cross. So I said from the beginning, I wanted to visit John. I wanted you to see a little bit of me, which I hope you hear my heart of, of, of what the work of the cross has, has, has done in my life and, and it's been a continual process. But, but really, for me, it's... What is that word saying to you today? Have, have you gone through that curtain? That, that visual, if you would, that's provided here that shows the curtain being divided and saying, I've done this work of, of providing atonement and the payment for your sin so that now that path is free and you can join me, that we can be in this relationship and family together forever. Have you made that choice? I trust that many have, and I wonder if, if like myself, are you resting in that? <laughs> are, are, are you living out of that work, or are you, are you falling back to work for it? I mean, Galatians speaks a lot of where you slide back to working for it, and it's called to just live out of that. Are you living as well when we get to this last victory? Um, if you're feeling like you're, you're overwhelmed or you're bound in chains that you just can't break, you're trusting in a Savior that's already broken them, that can provide freedom, that can walk with you in that victory for yourself too. Now I recognize as I share this, you're, you're hearing from God in, in the place that you're in. And so even as I pray and ask you to join me, um, 
I encourage you to just <laughs> have that conversation with God as, as you need to. I, I will speak and invite you to join my prayer, but as God's been speaking to you, I want to I encourage you just to, to, to talk with him about what he's saying. If it's, a, if it's an area of concern that you, you haven't trusted him, and, and to, to, to pray for that. I want to encourage that on the way home, if you've came here with someone, ask them. So when, when they're talking about Christ dying on the cross, what's that, what's that doing in, in your life right now? What is that saying? I think it's awesome when you can, you can carry this work on here in, into, your, into your home, into your way home. If you're, if you're listening online, reach out to those in your home, reach out to a friend. Share this so that we can have that spiritual encouragement with one another to continue that work of the cross in our lives. Well, I'm going to pray and again invite you to, to make this prayer your own if, 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 it's, if it's a prayer that you need to make of, of, of receiving the work of the cross. Um, but I invite you to pray as well where you're at as well. Let me just pray. Father God, It's, uh, it's awesome to look at the, the work of the cross and understand that at that point when you yelled it is finished that you were victorious. The work that you had done, that you had completed and accomplished it. God, it's sobering to think of what that work meant for you And it's moving to think about what that work means for us. Father God, I pray that you would just continue to minister the truth of the cross and your work in each life here. God, for those, for those who've never come through the curtain, that never began a relationship with you that are just coming to understand what the cross means today. God, I invite, I invite you to, to lead them home, bring them home to your family. Church, if, if that is where you're at, I will lead you in this prayer. Father God, thank you for sending your son I'm a sinner. Your son needed to come to die for me. I thank you for that. God, I trust the work of the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. And I ask as I come through in this, this curtain through your body into your presence, I ask that you would be my Lord and Savior and bring me into your family forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stay with us as we close?
Amen. Well, hallelujah for the cross. Thank you, Barry, for bringing that uh, important and powerful message to us. And Chaz and worship team, thank you so much for, for leading us in worship today. For those of you who are members here at Lakes Free, I want to remind you, following our second service today, we are going to have an important family meeting here in the sanctuary where we're going to have an opportunity to uh, get to know Pastor Barry and his family a little bit more. Uh, by the way, hey, it is always really awkward when you are showing up at a church for the very first time. And, you know, man, his family coming up on stage, and it's just a weird thing, all right? So here's what I want to ask us to do. Can we just welcome them with a warm Lakes Free welcome and thank them for coming? We appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you, church. And now I want to leave you with this benediction from the book of Revelation. The Apostle John says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you, church. Have a great morning.